If you have your Bibles, turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. Many times during a message or a sermon or a funeral, I'll get it out in just a minute, uh, these verses are read at the graveside. But they're more than just a graveside um, verses, which are very appropriate for that. Uh, there, This is the next thing on God's calendar. I really believe that with all my heart. When um, I made the mistake of listening to about 10 minutes of the news tonight, and that'll depress anybody, or it'll really concern you if you really think about it, of what, how this nation, where it's going, and um, all the corrupt leadership that's, that's here. Uh, we need to pray that God would have mercy. But uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 is the great description of what it means to be caught up together or raptured into heaven. The word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. Neither is missions and neither is the Trinity. But still missions are important and Trinity, the word. But the thoughts here of being caught up together, snatched away, um, and the last trumpet's going to sound. And so I want to stand on the Word of God, and we're going to read verses 13 through 18, if you would, and uh, we'll preach just a few minutes, and uh, let's ask God to bless uh, not only here, but in the uh, um, Master Club, because this will be the last time they meet, besides the banquet next uh, week, and ask God to save somebody. The Bible says, but I would not have you be ignorant brethren. Now, you know that ignorance means spiritually. I hope that none of you could ever leave this church and be called spiritually ignorant. I believe you've been doctrinally taught over these years, and I thank God for your receptiveness. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. That's the message tonight, hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, that's a key word, in Christ, two words, in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, there's the rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. And here's the whole thing about it. It says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for these comforting words. I can't think of a better thing to preach on than the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us, dear God, uh, to rightly divide this and to teach this and preach it. Uh, God, is, it is so imminent, your soon return. And Lord, as sure as you came the first time, we know you're coming the second time. And Lord, thank you for the theme of the Bible, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. But thank you for the second theme of the Bible is that you're coming again. And so, Lord, help us, dear God, to get the message tonight. We'll thank you and praise you. 
uh, for every one of us getting closer to you and being better soul winners and God being better witnesses and Christians in these last days of darkness as light set up on the hilltop. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to read another verse over in Titus, which I believe uh, Paul wrote also besides the book of Hebrews and most of the uh, New Testament. But Titus chapter 2, he's preaching to a bunch of pastors or he's, he's uh, talking about pastoral work as being a true ministry. And he goes on to say in verse 11 of Titus 2, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, that means very serious, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that, here it is, blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might be redeemed us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. He's saying, don't take for granted your spiritual leaders don't always be with you, but be a good one if you're going to be a spiritual leader. And I preached on that, I believe, Sunday night. Last week, I preached on holiness in the last days. Probably one of the hardest, most blunt messages I've ever preached in my life. Uh, I went home and thought, my word, will anybody ever come back? But there's only 13 people here last Wednesday because we had a real uh, scare and uh, there was a lot of people home, and um, so I thought, man, I've run, I've run at least those thirteen people off. But I've had, I never, I've never had as more more compliments on one message than I've ever preached in my life. I don't think, and I thank God for a church that can take it straight. And holiness in the last days is a model walk for believers. We need to be different, and we don't need to be uh, busybodies, and we don't, we need to uh, be full of brotherly love, and so much the more as we see the day appearing. But in these last verses, it's not on holiness, it's on hope. It's on comfort. Uh, hope for the last days. It's a blessed hope. And by the way, if you'll go back to and review real quick in chapter 1, if we really believe in the soon coming Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you need to have several things. And I didn't put this in the outline, but you got it a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago. Number one, you need to be saved. You need to be sure. Uh, you need to be saved. Um, the Bible says in verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus and to the church of Thessalonica, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, folks, the word in Jesus or in Christ is mentioned 140 times in the Bible. It's one thing to be in church, but it's another thing to be in Christ. And, folks, I want to tell you something. When the rapture takes place, there will be many in church that won't go up because they're lost church members. 
You need to be sure you're in Christ. That's one of the greatest descriptions of salvation in the Bible, that you're in Christ. Because the only way you're going to get into heaven is being in Christ. You must be covered with the blood. You, uh, you're, 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 you're going in on His righteousness, not on your own. You're going in by His grace, not you being gracious. So we must be saved, and then we must be serving. Verse 3 says, remembering without ceasing the work of faith, the labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So this, this theme is that not only are we saved, but we're serving. And then, of course, in verse 4 and 5 of this chapter 1, we need to be sure. We need to be sure. Uh, you need to make sure that you're saved. Um, I'm glad uh, Randy didn't have so much pride that as a preacher's son, uh, he didn't. He uh, went. He could have went to hell because he didn't want to admit that he was lost out in that parking lot when Brother Tony and him were about to have a youth activity, and he got honest and said, "I don't really believe I'm saved." He got saved out in the parking lot in, the, in Brother Tony's car, and so folks, listen. You need to be sure. You don't let you need, you don't you don't let you shouldn't let pride send you to hell because you're afraid somebody will think something about you. Matter of fact, they'll think you're the most intelligent, wise, uh, courageous person in the world if you're a religious person and then get saved. If you're a leader in this church and you get saved, and I believe all our leaders are saved, but only God knows. Uh, then we need to be steadfast. Verse six uh, says, "And become followers uh, of us and of the Lord." having received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's much affliction and persecution. We don't know how good we got it. But the only thing you can probably get hurt in America is your feelings. You probably won't get arrested. Now, you might in South Africa. I'm just trying to encourage y'all. Uh, in South Africa or some other place, uh, because the laws are so strict and they're so anti-Christ. But most of the time in America, you're going to be treated pretty civil for being a Christian. Those, that could change very quickly, by the way, but I won't get into that or I'll get in the flesh. We need to be steadfast, and then we need to be sharing. Verse 7, it says, so that we are in samples, all that believe in Macedonia and Acadia. And verse 8 says, we sound it out. You know, there ought to be more than hearing the trump of God. You ought to be a trumpet. You ought to be a sounding out of the gospel in these last days. You ought to be a sound of come and worship, that's what the trumpet when it sounded in the Bible. It meant come and worship. The sound also of the trumpet meant, hey, we're under attack. Get ready. Go to battle. Amen? The trumpet of God. And folks, when the trumpet of God sounds, we're going to be called to assemble up in heaven, but we're also called to know that the devil's about to get his due. Amen? And so there's sharing. Then there's separation in verse 9. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turn from God, from idols, to serve the living and true God. The living and true God. And so there's separation in verse 9. And so we see in chapter 1 it sets the stage for chapter 4 is that you need to be sure and you need to be in Christ. And so I want to give you just a few things about this verse. It says, but I would not have you ignorant brethren. Uh, first, I want you to see the evidence that affirms His coming. Uh, if you want evidence that Jesus is coming soon, all you got to do is look at this verse. It says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. They were worried that their dead loved ones was going to miss the kingdom and the second coming. It was really a, 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 
preoccupation, evidently, for the Thessalonians, and Paul sets them to rest that their dead loved ones that are asleep sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And so the rapture, the Lord's not going to touch this earth. He's going to bring all the saints up from the grave or walking down the street. I personally hope that I'm riding up West Emory Street right by that cemetery and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive remain shall be caught up together to be with the Lord. It's going to be an exciting event. And you say, well, why is the Lord doing that? Because he wants to exactly that way. But I want you to see, first of all, the incomparable work of the Lord proves that Jesus is coming again. Look at verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus, there's that in Jesus, will God bring with him. And so folks, the resurrection is the first fruit. Uh, You know the verse, but let's turn to it anyway. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 23, the Bible compares the resurrection to something in the Old Testament. It says in verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are in Christ at his coming. There's going to be a great resurrection of the dead, bodies, uh, from the seas, to the deserts, uh, to the um, to, to the God's green acre. Uh, I often wonder why they called that um, uh, a cemetery, you know, because it's planting the seed of a of a body that one day is going to come up from the grave if you're saved. There's two resurrections: the first resurrection, second resurrection. You better be in the first resurrection, amen. The second one's the resurrection of the damnation, and that's going to take place. Uh, at, the, at the great white throne judgment. You're not going to great white throne judgment. You're going to the judgment seat of Christ. But I want you to see the first resurrection here is Jesus' resurrection. He's the first fruit. In the Bible days, they had what called the first fruit offering. And as soon as the crop came in, they would take a stalk of wheat or barley or whatever, a sample of that fruit. I mean, it might, it might not be uh, a whole uh, tree, but they'd take they take the first fruit offering and they would come and, and they would offer it to the priest and he would literally take that first sheave and do a wave offering. And you know what that was? That was, a, that was a, a symbol of the resurrection, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the first fruit. It's the first fruit resurrection. Um, and that the second fruits, that's us, um, when I left Claxton, my preacher said that I was the biggest fruitcake that left um, Claxton. I probably was. It was a joke. And uh, I hope it was a joke. But, it, but we see that the, the, the rest of the harvest was coming. And the first fruit was offered to the Lord. All right, the Lord, this is the most incomparable work of the Lord. All other cults have a dead Messiah. All other cults have people that are in the, Buddha's in the grave. Uh, Muhammad's in the grave. Uh, Joseph Smith's in the grave. Mormons. Is it Mormons? Yeah. Um, uh, Russell's in the grave, Jehovah Witnesses. He did not come up from the grave. But our leader, 
our Savior, the first fruit, came up from the grave, and the Bible says that's our guarantee. And so, folks, the guarantee is found in this great passage. Let's go back to the text. It says, but if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Folks, ignorance is taking over um, denominations. Ignorance is taking over the church. Folks, we should not be spiritually ignorant. I'm so excited about uh, so many people uh, uh, en enlisted for the uh, Faith Bible Institute. It starts the third week of January. It's going to be wonderful. That many people t uh, being taught on a college level the Word of God. And folks, listen, there's some problems in America today. It's called spiritual ignorance. I'm going to tell you what's ignorant. When somebody says that life does not begin at conception, that's ignorant. Jesus did not cease to be a human being when he was in the womb. Say amen. Jeremiah was uh, ordained or anointed in the womb. Uh, John the Baptist leaped in the womb. Was that protoplasm? Was that some kind of cells? No, that was an actual person in the womb. And folks, there's a lot of ignorance in the United States of America. Ignorance about sin. Ignorance about God. Some people classify God as some usable uh, errand boy. And uh, emergency rash. He's God. He's Lord. And then there's not only uh, ignorance, uh, but what this passage deals with, there's hopelessness. I have never in my life heard of so many people committing suicide and being depressed and giving up and falling out of church and walking out on their marriages than I have in, in recent years, and not just this pandemic. I mean, the last 10 or 15 years. When I started this church in 1978, uh, sin was not a profession. It was an exception almost compared to what it is now. And folks, there's, a, there's, a, there's an air of hopelessness. Um, Christians should never give up hope. Um, there's one verse that, um, that sometimes I often read, and I think it's Leviticus 9 verse 10 about the priest is a death sentence to rent his robe. King could rent his robe. A prophet could rent his robe. Hey, um, 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 many people could rent their robes, but there's one person that could never rent their robe, and that was a priest. And that was saying, look, the priest represents hope. And the priest is, is us. We're the priesthood of God. And we should never, never rent our robes and that means just have ashes all over us and say there's no use. You should never commit suicide. You should never uh, act like God. It is the most devastating thing that could ever happen to parents. I've preached many funerals, many funerals, where somebody committed suicide. And there's no comfort to those parents. It's always hindsight. It's always... Uh, regret, could I have seen this, could I have seen that. I'll never forget the, the um, all-state lineman for Dalton uh, Catamounts state champion year, Terry Deason, committed suicide, and for some reason they called on me to preach his funeral. I don't even know if I knew him, but I preached that funeral. And two weeks later, 
I preached his mother's funeral because she committed suicide after her son committed suicide. And you talk about an atmosphere of total hopelessness and darkness and sadness. If you want to hurt somebody, that's the way to do it. And I want to tell you something, friend. You're only hurting the name of God. And I want to tell you this, is that it's a terrible thing. There's a whole lot of people that's committing that. Hopelessness. But the Bible says we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which sleep. And so we got two things here. we got the incomparable work of the Lord. If Jesus came the first time, he's coming the second time. Matter of fact, there's more references to the second coming than the first coming, and every prophecy about the first coming came true to the minute detail. For instance, Micah 9 verse 2 or 5 verse 2, 5 2, says that he was born in Be- he was going to be born in Bethlehem 913 years before the fact. Guess what? Because of taxes, he was born in Bethlehem. Say amen right there. There's something good about taxes. It put him right in the place that he needed to be. And that is wonderful to think about how God arranged uh, a decree that you had to go to your hometown to pay taxes, no matter if you're pregnant and have to ride a mule to do it. That would make anybody have a baby pretty quick. Say amen. Praise God, Brother Peter. you got to slow up, man. Don't hit no bumps. Don't hit no curbs. Amen. But, uh, but folks, she rode a donkey. Uh, to have that baby in the exact place that Micah said to have. Folks, the Word of God's enough. And that's my second point. We don't have the incomparable work of the Lord. We have the infallible Word of God. Look at verse 15. For we say it unto you by the Word of the Lord. Let's just stop right there and meditate on that for a second. We have the Word of the Lord. Folks, listen, when God said it, you can bank on it. When God says it, you can bank on it. 1,500 years, 44 different authors, 66 different books, and I challenge any of you to stand to your feet and show me one contradiction. And I challenge you to stand to your feet and show me one prophecy about the first coming that did not take place to the exact minute detail. It's wonderful, isn't it? That God gave us His Word on it. He said, by the word of the Lord, there's going to be a great awakening one day. There's going to be a trumpet sound, and the people in the grave is going to rip out of that grave. And folks, we have an infallible word on it. Folks, I want to tell you something. I don't believe many churches believe it. Over one-third of the Bible references the second coming. And some people never preach on the second coming. According to my Bible, one out of three sermons ought to be on the second coming if we want to be biblical. And folks, I'm preaching through the Bible. Thank God it's freed me, I'll tell you that. I don't have to worry about what I'm preaching because I'm just preaching through the Bible. I don't have to get a sermon on Saturday night. I don't have to pull out a sugar stick when I'm feeling sick and I don't know what to preach. I just preach through the Bible. But if you'll preach through the Bible, one-third of your messages will have a reference to the second coming. Amen. That's a, that's, a, that's a truth. You research it. 
that means it would be all right for one out of three sermons that I preach would be about the second coming, the second coming. And so um, the second coming is perhaps the most overlooked and underrated messages that preachers preach. The second coming is the most revolutionizing message a preacher could preach. The second coming will change your life more than any doctrine in the Word of God if you really believe it. If you believe He could come any minute, it'll change your life. It'll change your witness, and it'll change your witnessing. So the first and last promise of the uh, New Testament is about the second coming. It's the first promise in the New Testament. You look it up. And the last promise in the New Testament is about the second coming. So look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall be coming coming, will not prevent them or precede them which are asleep. In other words, the graves are going to open up first, and then the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, in a twinkling of an eye, and General Electric timed the twinkling of an eye. I don't know why they didn't have something more important to, to do, but it's one ten thousandth of a second is what you blink your eye. And so in one ten thousandth of a second, the rapture is going to take place. There'll be no getting right with God. And so let me see, show you number two. I only got three points, and I won't be long. The events which accompany his coming. First of all, we have the, um, we have the evidence that affirms his coming, the resurrection, uh, and the most incomparable event that's ever took place, and the Word of God. That's enough. You have his, you have his Word on it. But second of all, and I don't think I need to linger on that first point because I think all of you believe that the Lord's coming soon. I really believe that. But I want to show you what's going to happen when the Lord comes. There's going to be several things that's going to take place. Look at verse 16. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I want you to see the majesty of his revelation. First of all, his majesty of his revelation, the Lord himself. He's not going to send an angel. I think some angels will be with him uh, because the archangel is going to blow the trumpet, but I'm going to tell you something, friend. It's the Lord himself. He's not going to send an assistant. He's not going to send just the Holy Spirit. The Lord himself, the Savior who raised was raised from the dead on that Easter morning, the Savior that ascended 40 days later after being witnessed by 500 people, and that's a lot of people, 500 people. Uh, the Savior that's sitting, sitting on the right hand of God in majesty on high is going to rise up from that throne and step out and the uh, trump's going to sound and he's going to touch down or he's going to uh, be in the air and he's going to call up the saints of God. And then in a second, in ten, one ten thousand second, we're going to be called unto him. What a, what a blessing. Um, I love that song, It Is Well. One of the courses says, Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet sounds. Our Lord shall descend. I touch the earth. That's the second coming. Even so, it, 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 it will be well 
it will be well with my soul. I don't know if that's the third, fourth, or fifth verse, but I'll tell you what, it's a good one. It will be well. You know why? Because Jesus is enough. So there's the majestic majesty of his revelation. Then number two, the miracle of our resurrection. I said our resurrection. Look at verse 16. It says, And the voice of the angel and the trump of God shall sound. And the dead in Christ, there's that phrase in Christ mentioned 140 times in the Bible. In Christ shall rise first. Not all the dead, only the dead in Christ will rise. Isn't that amazing? You'll find out who's really saved at the rapture. But you shouldn't wait till then to be sure. There's a first resurrection, there's a second resurrection. Revelation chapter 20 verse 6 talks about the first resurrection and the second resurrection. The first death and the second death. The first judgment and the second judgment. The first judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. The moment we're raptured up, we're going to face the Lord either ashamed or with confidence, either with tears or with triumph, either being faithful or being unfaithful. That's an awesome thought. The moment the trumpet sounds and we get to heaven, there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. That means Paul and John the Baptist and all the great missionaries of the past are waiting for their judgment. They're not judged as soon as they die. It says all the saints, Luke 14, 14. Revelation 14, 12. And so there's a shout from his lips. What do you think that shout will be? I think it's going to be the same shout that he had in John chapter 11. Come forth! But he said, Lazarus, come forth. But I believe he's going to shout, come forth for all those that are in Christ. What a glorious day that's going to be. From all the battlefields, from all the seas, from all the deserts, and from all the shady acres and the God's acres called, called cemeteries, there's going to be a great ripping out of the grave. And that body's going to be reunited with a glorified body. And he'll put it all together. Amen? So what about all these people getting cremated? I don't particularly like that. It's a cheap way out. But I want to tell you something, friend. Uh, burial is a um, Christian custom. And I, like, I, I want to be buried. I don't have a plot yet because I'm too young to think about death, but um, uh, my wife's been on me for several years. Where are we going to be buried? I said, probably in the back of the church where they want to put a cemetery. <laughs> I don't know. That's a ball field. But, you know, f- folks, listen. You need to prepare not just for the burial. You need to prepare for the judgment seat of Christ because that's what's going to really count. There's a shout from his lips. Come forth. What a glorious day that would be. Then we have the mystery of the rapture. I use the word mystery because it's a biblical word. And look at verse 17. I'll define that. It's not the mystery we think that's on um, TV. It says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them. With who? The people just came out of the grave. With them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. And I'm going to close in just a minute. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, I know that's a big joke about you ought to put that sign on the nursery door. And, you know, they will not all sleep. 
but they will, they shall all be changed. I heard the other day that there was a baby that just, just cried and cried and cried in the nursery. Wouldn't stop crying. And I was shocked because I've never seen that baby do anything but smile. And that's that little Silas that was the foster child of, of Stephanie. And he's just crying. But you know something? When your teeth start coming through your gums, you have a right to cry. Amen? I cry when I stump my toe today. But I want to say this. Friend, There is that is not referring to the nursery slogan that all shall be changed, but it's a mystery. A mystery means something that uh, the Old Testament saints did not see. They didn't see that mountain of the, of the, of the resurrection. It was a mystery to them. It's a divine revelation is what that's, that word means. A divine, I behold, I'll show you a divine revelation. I'll show you something that not many people saw in the Old Testament. Paul said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now look at verse 52. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. And for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. What a transformation. We're going to get our glorified body in a second. And so then Paul says, so when this corruptible, verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15, and put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all because of Calvary. And it's all because of the resurrection. If he came up the first time, he, he'll have no trouble uh, bringing us up. If you don't believe that, ask Elijah. If you don't believe that, ask Enoch. He was not an astronaut. He was a was not. Amen? I mean, he was not. He was raptured up. It's a picture of the rapture in the Old Testament. They might not have understood what was coming, but they understood when Elijah was ripped out of here, and they understood when Enoch was caught up out of here. And so, folks, it's going to be a wonderful day when we're changed in a twinkling of an eye. When, folks, we get our glorified body. The trump of God's going to sound. And I believe it's so close that the archangel is wetting his lips, saying, now, look down here, they're killing babies. Look at them, they can't get, to, get together. Look at the church turned into a circus. Can I blow it now? Folks, listen, iniquity abounding, uh, unnatural affections, all the signs of the times, even nature's crying out that the Lord's coming soon. And then let me show you another thing real quick, the marvel of our reunion. In verse 17, the last half says, we'll call up together, and that's, that's glorious. With them in the clouds, with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's two reunions in this verse. It's reunion with others and reunion with Him. Folks, there's going to be a great reunion in heaven. We're going to see Jesus. That'll be the ultimate blessing. But also, we're going to see our loved ones. It says we're going to be with them. With them. I got a lot of making up to do with my daddy. We, uh, because of liquor, we didn't spend as much time together as I would have hoped.
He was asleep a lot. time he'd go home, he'd pass out on his plate. We'd drag him to bed and hope that he didn't fall during the night. Many times he did. And so we got a lot to make up for. I remember on his deathbed, he looked at me and he said, Wayne, I have a regret. And I said, what is that, Daddy? He said, the regret is I only lived seven years. I wish I'd have got saved earlier. So he was saved when he was 63. I was preaching. He was sitting on the right-hand side. He came down the aisle and I was praying in this preacher's pew. You've heard that many times. Some people got mad at me for saying it so much and left the church. Uh, all I can say is hasta la vista, baby. I'll share my daddy's testimony if I want to. Because it's real to me. But I'll tell you this. I'll see him again. And i looking forward to catching up for lost time. My dear mother. Um, and I'm going to tell you something. I looked at my funeral file and I preached 8,000 times behind this pulpit, but I have preached so many funerals that it's about five or six files of messages. A lot of times the same one, Revelation 14, 13. If y'all want something different, write it down. But um, uh, y'all can preach mine. But I, I guarantee you, friend, there's been some great friends in this church that's went on to be with the Lord, even this year. Even this year. Every first day of the month, we think about Brother Larry Reimer coming in that back door ready to pay the missionaries with Jason. And we miss him. We miss him. I'll never forget the day he passed. and uh, He was here the Sunday before. Brother Wallace was here the Wednesday night before the Thursday morning that God took him home. The next morning. He was here, he wasn't feeling too good, and he got the younger men to take his place as head usher because he, he couldn't move around because he was feeling a little sick. But praise God, he was here on the last Wednesday night before God took him home Thursday morning. Folks, I'm telling you, we're going to be together one day. We're going to catch up for lost time. And it's going to be a wonderful reunion. My only heartbreak is I've got some loved ones that's not ready. And they're not going to go. If they don't get saved, they're going to be left behind. They're going to die and go to hell. It'd be so sad. And folks, we need to be broken about it while we can do something about it. Because the tears on the casket will not save them. The tracks in the casket will not save them. The regret the screams, the cries, and a lot of times that's what that is. It's regret of not being close. By the graveside will not count like your compassion now. Let me just close by saying this, folks. Not only are we going to meet our loved ones, we're going to meet our Lord. It says meet the Lord. Look at verse 17. I'm just trying to teach a little bit, not preach too much. I preach this passage hundreds of times. It says, to meet the Lord. I got that circle. To meet the Lord. I've met a lot of people. But boy, to meet the Lord. Monday, um, a guy called me up and said, hey, listen, at 4.30, I want you to call this number. I said, what do you want me to call this number for? He said, call this number and put in this code. Um, I want you to talk to the vice president. I said, sure. Sure. Me, talk to the vice president. 
Sure enough, at 430, I dialed that number, punched in the thing, and there he was talking to us, 19 of us preachers from Georgia. He was reminding us what a great president we had, what a great accomplishment about the Jews and about the uh, pro-life and pro-church and all this stuff made me just upset after the call. And then he said, does any of y'all have a question? Praise God, I was going to get to ask him a question. And so I had my question ready. I was going to talk to the vice president. And my question was this, do you really think the election's not over? That was going to be my question. And he hung up on us and went to an emergency meeting. So I didn't get to ask my question. But I got to talk, I got to hear him. And only 18 other preachers heard him in that particular conversation. My wife said, oh, that was just a recording. She was trying to humble me. I was, thinking, I was, I was, I was feeling pretty good at talking to the vice president. Amen, praise God. Now, I ain't going to talk to the current vice president. Brother Randy can do that, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, thank God. Thank God that one day I'll meet the Lord. One day I'll get to talk to Him. Uh, one day I'll get to ask questions. No, that's a dumb thing to say. You won't have no questions when you're like Him. Amen? You're not going to have any questions. You're going to have His mind. Why would you have a question? You're just going to have a praise. He's going to praise him. But those that are lost will never see him. They'll never see the brightness, love, laughter, love, longing, fellowship, sweetness, kindness, forgiveness of heaven. All they'll see is hell. All they'll smell is the stench of bodies burning with never dying. All they'll see is the devil and his blasphemy for years and years and millennials and millennials of blaspheming God. Folks, listen. There's going to be a great division at the rapture. Those that are saved in Christ will be raptured up and will meet Him. Those that are lost, it'll be too late if they've heard the gospel. We've got to get busy that brings me to my last point. Folks, there's a marvel of reunion with our saint, with the saints, but with our Savior. With our Savior. We get to all say thank you. But third of all, there's the expectation, expectancy that awaits His coming. Look at the expectancy. It says, And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Meet means official greeting. An ambassador comes home and we meet them. Somebody very important. We're going to meet the Lord. We're going to meet our Savior. But until then, the Bible says in 1 John 3, we ought to purify ourselves. Amen. We ought to be like Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to see this for all of us that are slacking up a little bit. Now, I'm not talking about you that are being careful staying home. I would never criticize you for that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the Bible says this. It says, verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled uh, from an evil com com conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, 
For he is faithful that is promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now listen to this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another. When you come here, you exhort me just with your presence. Exhorting one another. Listen to this. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. Could I say this? The day's approaching. And so what we ought to live in is so much the more. We need to go the second mile. We need to be second mile Christians. We need to be witnessing more than ever. Folks, the church has got lethargic. We're going to sleep. I'm really offended when you go to sleep when I prepare a message six or seven hours. I get offended, but I get over it, and that's why I'm still pastoring in one place. But I want to tell you something. I believe the Lord's offended when the church is asleep. And I believe the Lord's offended when we don't take His Word at face value. And prophecy should propel us to take the gospel to the pavement. Let me repeat that little saying. Prophecy should propel us to go to the pavement of soul winning before it's too late. And I'll just say this, prophecy is not meant to give you a big head, but prophecy is meant to give you a burning heart for souls. We need to turn it up. There's those little old ball players that won't, some of them won't salute the flag, God help them. Or the Vanderbilt girls are going to stay in the locker room while the national anthem's on. I never would root for them anyway, but I'm certainly not going to root for them now. They can stay in the locker room. They can't come out and salute our flag and remember those that's died for our flag. It's not the time to protest. I know all lives matter, but I want to tell you something. The soldiers that died for our country matters enough for us to salute the flag when the national anthem's on. I just felt like getting that off my chest. I feel a whole lot better now. Amen? But I want to say this in closing. One day, very soon, Jesus is coming. And only what's done for Christ lives. So we need to turn it up. We need to be like those little ball players. We need to hold up four fingers, saying it's the fourth quarter. You know what that's saying to everybody around? Hey, boys, I know you're tired. I know you're hurt. I know that you feel like going to the locker room and taking a vacation. But this is the fourth quarter. And if we don't finish right, we're going to lose this blooming ball game. But folks, we're in more than a ball game. We're in an eternal life struggle of winning souls. And so in the last days, let's turn it up. So much the more as I see the day approaching. Father, thank you for this uh, teaching on the rapture of the church. I think it's been more teaching than preaching and that's what I intended it to be and I think that's what the Holy Spirit wanted and so Lord thank you for the book of 1 Thessalonians even the phrase in Christ, in Jesus Christ should thrill our soul that we're in, in Him, not just in the church and we're definitely not in our own righteousness but we're in You and Lord I pray that every person in this room is ready for the trumpet and if not that they would never leave this place 
lost, that they'd be saved before it's too late. With every head bowed, every eye closed, is there anyone here to say, Preacher, I'm really not saved? I'm, I'm a member of this church. I try, to, I try my best to um, uh, be faithful, but just to be honest with you, I am not saved. i got to admit it. And I want you to pray for me. Anyone in here, just lift your hand up and say, I'm not sure I'm saved. And I'm concerned enough about my soul, putting pride on the back shelf, and say, hey, please pray for me. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. I'd like to deal with you personally. Anyone? Have me say, preacher, I'm saved, but I'm not listening for the trumpet enough. And I really don't believe we're in the last days because there's not an urge it's about my soul winning and my witnessing and my witness of living for God, a separated life. And I just want to, tonight, draw closer to God, pray more for my loved ones that are backslidden or lost. Because I don't want to see them face Jesus like that. I want them to face Him as a Savior, not as a judge. I want you to please pray for me that I could win my loved ones to the Lord. Would you slip your hand up high on their behalf? All over this place. All over this place. How many has got somebody in your family that's backslidden, not close to God, concerned about their soul and their life? i got several in my family. You'd raise your hand on their behalf because they know you know they're saved, but they're away from the Lord. And you'd hate for the rapture to take place tonight because they would face the Lord ashamed. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the resurrection. And thank you for the word. It's the guarantee to the rapture. Now, Lord, may we believe it and let it affect our behaving. God, may we believe it that it might affect our shouting and our witnessing and our attitude towards the lost. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.